It's John chapter 16. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit because in John chapter 16, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He's trying to help his disciples know about this gift he wants to give them. He's taught to them many, many times about how the Father gave the world the gift of the Son. God the Father gave God the Son to the world, and he's tried to help them understand his relationship with the Father and the gift that he is and what he's coming to do to, to really deal with sin and death, to set people free from their sin and the curse that has come upon humanity. But now he's trying to tell them, but, but I'm gonna leave you a gift. Just like God the Father gave you the gift of the Son, God the Son, me, I'm gonna give you the gift of God the Spirit. And he's gonna be with you. And he's teaching them this because it's so important because he knows in just a few days, he's not gonna be with them anymore. Jesus is just about going to the cross. He's in the last few days, maybe even the last few hours of his life at this point. And he's told his disciples time and time again, I'm going away, I'm gonna be killed, I'm gonna be crucified, and I'm gonna go to the Father. And they don't get it. They're not quite aware of what's happening. Jesus, you can see him getting more and more you know, stressed, more and more kind of weighing this thing out. He's just about to go to them in the garden and sweat great drops of blood as his will and the Father's will are in, are in agony together and they're trying to come into alignment. It's in a very intense moment in Jesus' life. And he wants his disciples to know they're gonna be okay, but they're gonna go through hell. They're gonna go through hard times. He just said in chapter 15, kind of ends, now the world is gonna hate you. And what you're about to see me go through is gonna happen to you as well. And in fact, when Jesus was crucified, all the disciples split. They were gone except for John, the one who wrote this. He was the only disciple that was there at the cross watching what Jesus went through. And he's writing to us, to us about 60 years later and he's remembering this teaching and he's recording it for us because it was so important for him because he actually was one that saw Jesus crucified, saw the hell that Jesus went through, saw Jesus ascend and then actually experienced the Holy Spirit for the next 60 years of his life, sustaining him. So he knew firsthand what Jesus was talking about. And now after 60 years, after 30 years of living with Jesus, 60 years of living with the Spirit, he's now writing us about the words of Jesus as Jesus was teaching about the Spirit. So this is very important stuff, very important stuff. And I hope you will see how this is exactly what we need to hear today. I'm never gonna use this place to try and you know, put forth an agenda or, or a political opinion or philosophy other than just what the Word of God teaches. I'm trying to really let that be the place. If you wanna ask me and what my family personally, we're gonna have to do that in some other place if that's what you're interested in. But what really matters is that we figure out the kingdom of heaven and what that king is like and what he's up to in our world. That's the most important thing. So that's what we're gonna continue to focus on. So we're gonna start in John 15, verse 26, but before we do, um, I wanna talk about the nature of the Spirit. So I've got a few of you know, memes that people have, have come across this week that'll help us kind of begin to understand what the Holy Spirit is about, or at least what we think. So here you've got a frog who's about to comment on someone's social media post, and you've got this um, chameleon who is the Holy Spirit. Say, <laughs> so I don't think so. Here, you've got this girl who's totally about to do what she shouldn't do, and the Holy Spirit is like, here's some conviction for you, right in the cheek. Um, and then this one's my favorite because I have three daughters. My daughter has allowed three male friends, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen to that. Amen to that. 
So that's a little bit of what our culture kind of, you know, throws out there sometimes of, of the understanding of the Holy Spirit. Um, we've got something a lot better than our culture. We actually have historical, orthodox Christian teaching of what the Holy Spirit is, and this is the Nicene Creed, which was a creed that came um, a few hundred years after Jesus was gone. So after Jesus left, the disciples were trying to teach their disciples who Jesus was and what he taught, and that was processed out through the church, and over the first 300 years, they had a lot of stuff to work out. And one of the things that they were trying to figure out was the Trinity, the triune nature of God. And so the people were trying to figure out what does the Old Testament say? What does the New Testament teaching say? What were the teachings of Jesus? What did the apostles teach as it came down? And they tried to boil it all down to an understanding of, of what is Orthodox Christian thought on the triune nature of God. And that important for us this morning is what they think about the Holy Spirit. The Apostles' Creed, which came a little bit before the Nicene Creed, actually says, we believe in the Holy Spirit. That's it. <laughs> That's the whole details you get. You get some details, you get a paragraph about God the Father, you get a paragraph about God the Son, but it isn't until the Nicene Creed where we get, the Holy Spirit gets his own paragraph. So let's pop that up. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father, before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, hallelujah, and his kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. And then this word, this is a, a Greek word, homo usian, and it basically is, is what they concluded. This was the key to understanding the Trinity. Not that any of us perfectly can understand the Trinity. It's God, it's, a, it's outside of our concept of understanding. But homo usian is this, is this idea of essence or substance that they really are the same essence or substance. That's why they are all worthy to be called God. Homo usian. So this is the nature of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the, the person of the Holy Spirit, the personality of the Holy Spirit. It's not just some energy source. We're not talking about Star Wars here and the force. We're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. And then what Jesus is gonna do here is he's gonna talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, in the life of his disciples as they're gonna face different things. So we're gonna start in, verse 15, or in chapter 15, 15, verse 26. Jesus says, when the advocate comes, he calls him the advocate, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he, personalizing him, will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So first and foremost, he calls the Holy Spirit the advocate. And secondly, he says he's gonna come from the Father, but his work is to testify about Jesus. And when he comes and lives inside of us, then our work is to then testify about Jesus. 
So that's the real simple basic concept that Jesus is laying out. And these words are a little tricky though. They're, they have a lot more weight to them than, than we have here. A lot of different translations will choose different words. The comforter, the advocate, the counselor. But the word there in the Greek is paraclete. And paraclete is a Greek word. Um, and, and the word para means like with or, or like beside. And cleat has a connotation of, of like calling out or, or, or counseling or consoling, some of those things. And, and it's a legal term in Greek that Jesus is using differently from what the New Testament Greek writers usually use the word pneuma about the Spirit. So Jesus is specifically grabbing this legal term and applying it to the Spirit for his disciples' understanding. And the reason that's so important is because we just got through a section in John 15 where Jesus is teaching them about how much the world will hate them and come against them. And he's taught that many times. He's just about to show the disciples how, how true that is as he's going to experience trial. Literally, he's gonna be arrested and put on trial. And he's gonna be sentenced to death and he's gonna go through crucifixion. The world is going to be against him. And so he inserts this word paraclete, which is a legal term, basically meaning defense attorney. And so what Jesus is saying is, disciples, you need to understand, there is going to be a whole bunch of prosecution that is gonna come your way. Persecution. There is going to be actual prosecuting attorneys, attorneys that are gonna come against you. And it's, no, it's absolutely true. In Acts chapter four, we see the disciples all standing before the Sanhedrin having to give a defense for why they're doing what they're doing and they're facing serious charges, charges that got Jesus crucified. And yet Jesus told them, don't worry about what to say because the paraclete will be with you and give you the words to say. And so the idea of this courtroom and you as disciples of Jesus, you need to understand that you are going to have prosecution against you. The devil is going to come and say, you don't deserve it. I know who you really are. Remember when you did that? How dare you go to church and lift your hands? You're just pretending. The prosecution continues inside our own hearts and minds. And it's true, the prosecution in the world around us. Your faith means nothing. You're just playing games. It's just fairy tales you believe in. The prosecution is endless. It's relentless. The world hates those who are following in Christ. It hates the light because it lives in darkness. And so Jesus is teaching them that you are gonna have so much prosecution against you. However, you need to understand, disciples, the gift that I'm giving you is I'm giving you a defense attorney. I'm giving one that will defend you, that will counsel you in the face of prosecution, that will come alongside you and be with you no matter what you face. He will comfort you, he will console you, he will guide you. It's like going into a courtroom without an attorney, without a defense attorney, it's very scary. But if you have someone that you know has never lost a case, someone who really cares for you, someone who sees everything perfectly and clearly, and if they're the one that are defending you, you're gonna feel a little different. And Jesus is saying, this is the gift that I am leaving with you. This is the gift I'm giving to you, the paraclete. And then he says, not only that, but he is the spirit of truth which goes out from the Father, and this is so important. 
This is such an important realization. This, this homoousius, this, this issuing forth, this proceeding from God is such an important concept because um, some of you sometimes, I think, think that I'm your paraclete. And I'm horrible paraclete. Some of you might look to your boyfriend or husband or, or your wife or spouse or your teacher or your friends as your paracletes. They're not good paracletes. They're just blind leading the blind. Some of you look to politicians to be your paraclete. Some of you look to political ideas to be your paraclete. This is just not gonna work out for you because they don't issue from the Father. They are not filled with the truth. Having a paraclete that issues from the Father, that is the same essence and substance of the Father, that is the very breath of God breathed into this world, that means something. Because that paraclete can't be corrupted. That paraclete can't be deceived. That paraclete is the truth, knows the truth, and brings about the truth. And what Jesus is saying is he's giving to you, he's giving to his disciples, he's giving to us the paraclete, which proceeds from the Father. And the idea of the the whole Bible when it talks about the spirit uh, of God, it it uses the word breath. So in the the Greek, it's the word pneuma, um, holy ghost, holy breath, hagias pneuma. And in the Old Testament, it's the word ruach. You could say that, it's fun to say if you want, ruach. Um, ruach, it's, this, it's the idea of the breath of God. So, so when there was no creation, when all there was was uncreated, tohu vabohu, it says the spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep and God spoke. He spoke, his breath went from his mouth and he created everything. And that which was uncreated became created. That which was dead became to life. That's this concept of ruach. That's the concept of the spirit. It is the very essence of God. And it's something that can't be seen. Obviously, we understand that. Breath or wind can't be seen, but you can see what it does. It's very powerful. It moves things. If you guys were social distance a lot better, I'd tell you to all take a really deep breath right now. First service was more social distance than you guys. But if you take that deep breath, you can, you can actually feel the change, the movement that happens inside you. But there's something else as you take that breath. There's an energizing as you get all that oxygen to rush in. And that's a good picture of how we understand the Spirit of God as it fills us. It's not only a paraclete to defend us and counsel us and comfort us and guide us, but it's also something that, that issues from the Father into us. And it fills us and it energizes us for the work that we need to do for the standing that we need to do, or like John 15, for the remaining that we need to do so that we can bear much fruit. This is what Jesus is teaching about the Spirit. Verse, or chapter, one of, or chapter 16, verse one. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away, that you will be, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. I was your paraclete. But now I am going to to him who sent me. 
None of you ask me where are you going. Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. I think that's an interesting thing to know if you've been tracking with us. Remember John 14, Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to the Father and you know the way. And they're like, where are you going? <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to the Father. I've told you that so much. And then they're like, what's the way? <laughs> he's like, I'm the way. I've told you that so many times. How can you be saying this to me? I'm going to the Father. I am the way. And they're like, when are you going? He, and he's just so frustrated. So I love in this part, he's like in the same thing. He's talking to him. He says, I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me where you are going. Almost like, don't even bring that question right now. I won't be able to take it. I've said these things because I'm going away, um, but it's for your good that I go. Unless I go away, the advocate, the paraclete, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So he's talking about this new relationship with the Spirit that, that can't happen until he goes. Now this gets very interesting right here. In the Bible, we have three different relationships with the Spirit of God that are described. In Genesis chapter six, God says, my Spirit will not always strive with mankind right before the flood. So in some way, the Spirit of God is seen as striving with mankind. What is it striving to do? Well, Jesus said in John 14 that my spirit will not only no longer be with you, but it will be in you. And actually in another gospel account, it says that at that point, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, be filled with the spirit. So we move from this, this position of being the spirit is with us to now the spirit is in us. And the spirit is with all people trying to help them come to an understanding of who God is, convicting them of their sin so they can know him and reach out to him for salvation. So I know a lot of people sometimes they're stressed out about people in other parts of the world who don't get to go to a church that talks about Jesus. And I get that, that, that seems challenging, but God, God's not challenged by that. His spirit is with all people, helping them, striving with them, contending with them to bring them to a place where they actually do and know who God is. They can know the truth. And yet whether they decide to receive that truth or not, we go to Romans chapter one. It says many of them suppress that truth. But so when everyone stands before God someday, they're gonna say, well, I didn't get to go live in America and hear about Jesus all the time or some other place, whatever. God's gonna say, my spirit was with you. I know every single moment of your life when the truth was presented to you and instead you suppressed it. That's why Romans says no one is gonna have an excuse on that day. God loves people, his spirit is with them. And that day that comes where we receive the spirit of God, we receive God, we surrender to God, we, we say, God, I need you to forgive me for my sin, come and cleanse me. That's the day that the spirit comes inside of us. And this is a fascinating thing. All the other religions of the world basically say, if you do everything right, you might be able to ascend to God. And Christianity is almost audacious, almost ridiculous sounding when it says that the God of Christianity is not asking you to ascend, but God is invading you. He sent the gift of his son into the world to take on human flesh. And then he gives the gift of the spirit to go into human flesh and quicken our mortal bodies. 
So that no longer does he want to just live in temples, but he actually considers your body the temple that he wants to reside in. Wild stuff. Almost as wild as virgin birth and resurrection. But anybody in this room believe it because it's true? Anybody ever experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit living inside you? Yes, yes, you can shout it out, it's okay. It's a church, you don't have to be. I heard you guys singing, so I know you're shouters. You're loud, loud people. But this is the promise. And then we do have Acts chapter one where Jesus teaches about this third relationship with the Spirit, which is where the Spirit comes upon you and empowers you to be a witness. Now all of those things I believe can happen at the same time or they can be different, whatever. We could talk more about that. Go to Explore class if you wanna learn more about that because we don't have time to talk about it right now. I already did the Nicene Creed. We're doing pretty good already. Um, but anyways, that, that's this relationship with the Spirit. What Jesus is, de is describing here is the indwelling of God inside the temple of your body. It's new covenant stuff. And the disciples experienced this. And John's writing about it to us later on. But as the Spirit comes into the world, the Spirit's job is to convict the world of what is wrong, sin, Convict the world of what is right, righteousness. And the reason that, that we needed that was because Jesus was leaving and the disciples couldn't look to Jesus to see what was right and wrong. But Jesus had to leave so that the Spirit of God wouldn't be contained into one human form but could be spread into all human forms so that we all could know what is right. And the last thing is convicting, um, convicting basically the, world, the, the devil of all his deceptions making everybody know what his deceptions are. So the job of the Spirit is to convict the world of what is wrong, and that's that experience where if you've received the Spirit and you're going to do something you used to do and all of a sudden you're like, Ugh! it doesn't feel very good anymore, I don't enjoy it more, I feel bad after I do it, that's the Spirit of God. That's the wonderful gift of the Spirit, convicting you of what is wrong. But then the other thing the Spirit does, it convicts you of what is right. I shared a story a couple weeks ago about driving my little pickup truck and the Lord asking me to pull, the, pull over and pick up the guy. And then I felt like the Lord was telling me to share, share his love with him and I didn't want to, but the Spirit was convicting me about what was right. And I was like, Aah. but then when I did it, we got to see something neat happen. Actually, what the Bible says about sin is interestingly enough is to him who knows what to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. It's much more God's asking you to do the right things and you're not doing it is sin, more so than God's asking you to not do the wrong things. But that's the spirit's job, convicting you of what is wrong so you won't do it, convicting you of what is right so you will do it. And then the last thing, and this is one of the most beautiful things, he convicts um, the, the world of judgment. And basically the spirit is in the world today to destroy all the deceptions. No one gets away with deception. The Spirit is not confused by it. He sees it and he has set the day of judgment already. And for some that comes quickly when they get caught in a lie. For some that comes later. But this is the promise of Jesus. Says his disciples are gonna go into confusion. He's gonna go into uncertain times. They're not gonna really know what's right, what's wrong. It's gonna be hard to figure it all out. He says, don't worry, the Spirit is gonna make sure and convict you of what you're supposed to do, but then he'll also convict the world and judge the world because he sees everything clearly. So you can rest in that. You can have comfort in that. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, 
I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. Now bear. But when the he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me and he will make known to you. So here he talks about the spirit being um, the thing that guides us into all truth. Anybody want some spaghetti? Um, I brought this as a prop. I'm not a huge prop guy, but um, that's not a political joke either, by the way. Okay, maybe it was, maybe it was. Um, but here, this, this is a, a strainer, but pretend it's not a strainer, pretend it's a filter, okay? Because it's got little holes, and you put stuff in here, and the big stuff won't go through the holes, the little stuff will go through the holes, right? It's a filter, you get the concept. And what Jesus is saying here is that the Spirit will guide us into all truth. And this is such an important, uh, important understanding because we Christians, we really believe that we stand in the truth. We believe we are right and everyone else is wrong who doesn't believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That seems so audacious, prideful, and arrogant. And when you think about history, that basically there's been 6,000 years at least of recorded human thought. Right, people have been writing stuff down. This is what I think. For at least 6,000 years, we, we know that. They've been writing down, this is where I think the world came from. This is what I think God is. This is what I think mankind is. You got the Epic of Gilgamesh. You got the Genesis account. You got all these origin accounts. And then we've got all these thoughts about what happens after we die or where we're going. All the different philosophies, all the different religions. For 6,000 years, basically there's just been this conglomeration of thought evolution. And then we're here, 2020, David Stockton, with the brain capacity that I have, I know the truth. You see, it's crazy. And that's why there's this thing called agnostic, which is basically without knowledge. It doesn't mean they're dumb. It means they're just saying, we can't know. There's no way to know. When you look at the, the reality of all of that thought evolution, how can you ever say that you know? And if you as a Christian haven't wrestled with that, it's a, good thing. it's a good thing to wrestle with. But here's what Jesus is teaching. He's basically saying that he's not leaving it up to your, you, you and your mental capacity to figure it all out. He's not leaving it to his disciples who don't even know where he's going or what, what the way is after spending three years with them. He's saying, I'm going, but I'm not gonna worry about it because I'm gonna leave with you the Spirit. And you can think of the Spirit as a filter. God is giving every single person the filter of his spirit. And when you have a good filter, it doesn't matter how much or what you put into the filter. You could put all the bad things you want into the filter, but if it's the right filter, only the good comes out. And that's why we have verses where Jesus says, the blind can't see it because they haven't received the spirit. The deaf, the, those, they're deaf, they can't hear it because they're not receiving the spirit. But if you receive the Spirit, that's the promise. He will guide you into all truth. He will begin to filter everything. This is the way I wrote it down to try and sum it up a little bit clean, cleaner. It doesn't matter what you put into the filter as long as the filter is good, only good comes out. Once you have received Jesus, you receive the Spirit. Once you have received the Spirit, the filtering begins. Once you have the Spirit, you start to hear things that don't sound right anymore. You start to hear people say things and you're like, hmm? <laughs> it doesn't sound right. You start to hear things come out of your own mouth and you're like, ooh, 
That doesn't sound right. That's the beginning of this filtering process, the sanctification process. You begin to do things or see other people do things and you go, hmm, that doesn't feel right anymore. This is the filtering. The fancy theological word for this is sanctifying. Now, when we receive Christ, you gotta understand this. Our salvation is secure. We are seated in heavenly places. We've been given every spiritual blessing. Positionally, we are completely clean, right, holy, good, beautiful. We're covered in the blood of Christ. We're covered in the robes of his righteousness. When God looks at you in Christ Jesus, he doesn't see you messed up. Because he doesn't live within time. But we do. I do. So when I see you, I see you messed up. And when you see me, you see me messed up. And yet God sees the picture. He's got the blueprint. And his spirit is with us to continue to filter us, filter us, filter us, filter us to what, where our positional reality in heaven lines up with our practical reality on earth. That's the process of sanctification. That's the job of the Spirit, to guide us into all truth, to filter us, filter us. And the sad thing is when we came to Jesus, we were really full of the world. So he's got a lot of filtering to do. Some of you are a little more than others. But the more we're filled with the Spirit, the more we receive the Spirit, the more we walk in the Spirit, the more filtered we get, the more holy we become. Not the kind of holy that's annoying, but the kind of holy that the world desperately needs right now. Healthy. And then Jesus goes on to say, you know, kind of reiterating how the disciples are gonna experience a lot of grief. He's going to the Father, but hope is gonna come, joy is gonna come. And then he says this in verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Ultimately, what the Spirit will bring into your life is peace. In this world you will have trouble, trials, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And he says this right before the world overcomes him, crucifixion, but that's right before he resurrects. And they can know without a doubt that he really has overcome the world and that the spirit that he is sending into the world to guide them, to fill them, to defend them, to counsel them, to comfort them, to filter them, he is also overcoming the world. And so this is the greatest gift that Jesus could have given. Just like God gave the Son, God knew our greatest need and, and his, his giving of the Son was what he gave us. Jesus knew the greatest need for his followers and so he gave him that gift. The gift of the paraclete, the pneuma, the ruach, the filter, so we can navigate this life and ultimately what he does is he brings that peace and going back to a couple weeks ago when we talked about the cycle of the anxiety in society, we looked at what Friedman, this guy who wrote 50 years ago, talked about the, the cycle of anxiety in society. He says that when a society becomes overcome with anxiety, kind of like when a pandemic hits or a contentious election, whatever it might be, they just all of a sudden become reactive. They experience reactivity, hurting, blame displacement, quick fix mentalities, and lack of well-differentiated leadership. Again, if you didn't get this, you can look back a couple weeks. Um, but then he says the answer to this, the way to kind of stop that cycle or that craze from happening is you have to insert a non-anxious presence and a differentiated leader, a leader who's not basically kind of caught up in the system, but a leader that's from without. 
And I think that's exactly what Jesus is teaching on the Holy Spirit is that he's this non-anxious presence that is a different, he's issued from the Father. He's not of human origin. And Jesus is sending him into the world to stop the cycle of crazy inside your own soul, inside your marriage, inside your family, inside your church, inside your society. And this is the description that Friedman gives of this non-anxious person. Now again, I think this is first and foremost the Spirit, but this is the work of the Spirit in our lives as he brings us peace. When I say the anxious, non-anxious presence, I mean someone who has clarity about his or her own life goals, and therefore someone who is less likely to become lost in the anxious emotional processes swirling about. I mean someone who can be separate while still remaining connected in the world but not of the world, and therefore can maintain a modifying, non-anxious, and sometimes challenging presence. I mean someone who can manage his or her own reactivity to the automatic reactivity of others and therefore be able to take stands even at the risk of displeasing. And this really is my prayer for us as followers of Christ today, that we would be filled with the Spirit of Christ that we would receive this gift that he wants to give and we would walk in it. And I love that Jesus' plan is not just to fill one person and make them a great leader. His plan is to fill all the little people, the ones willing to humble themselves so that, that every single where they go people can experience the presence of God. They don't have to go to a temple. They don't have to go to a church anymore to find the presence of God. All they have to do is meet you. All they have to do is come across you. And you're everywhere. I mean, not right now, you're all here, but when you leave this place, you go everywhere. And we can be filled with this non-anxious presence and we can be this non-anxious presence. That's the work of the Spirit in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your gift. We thank you so much, Jesus, that you knew what we needed and you gave it to us. And Lord, I pray that right now we would be filled with your Spirit, that you would breathe on us once again, that the church all over America, all over the world, that Christians who are, who are seeking you, Lord, that, that you would fill them, you would pour out your spirit and fill them. You would breathe your breath on them. You'd breathe your breath on me, Lord. And each time we feel the anxiety rise, I pray that we would know to run to that secret place. breathe you in again. And Lord, I pray for anyone listening online right now or anyone in this room that has never said yes to Jesus, that has never received your spirit, that has never had you come in and forgive them of their sin and wash them clean. Lord, I pray that right now they would know that you are so ready to give your spirit that though we are evil and know how to good give, give good gifts to children, you are so willing to give the Holy Spirit to whoever would ask. And I pray that people would ask this morning. And if you're someone that has never, has never talked to Jesus, 
has never asked Jesus for his spirit to come in and fill you, it's all you have to do. Just ask him. Ask him to forgive your sins and fill you with his spirit. And the filtering will begin. And the comforting and the counseling will begin. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Will you all stand with me? And if you do need a filling of the Spirit, you can be right where you are and ask the Lord to fill you. Breathe them in. If you want to come up to the front, we'll have some people up here that would love to pray with you if you're a little more comfortable with that. Or even if you have questions, they'd love to pray for you. But we're going to finish with the song and, and then we'll be dismissed.